guys. <laughs> Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. Who is apparently not at all prepared. I was not prepared. The microphone is like halfway across the table. I had to make an emergency reach for it. <laughs> what were you doing? I don't know. I was just Do you know out. how this podcast starts? I, I was, Every single time, twice a week, you I go, have, hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I was thinking about that Alan Parsons project song. Should I play it? Can no, I play it? It no, has a really like, long intro. It's just start over. No. I what? like I like the way this episode is going. I like the I way. I got a good feeling about this I got a good one. feeling about this. Wow. Yeah, no, we don't need to play this all day. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we absolutely do. This is how good this episode is going to be. Tell me. You have no idea what this episode is about. Ladies and gentlemen, uh-huh. this is a history episode by Jake Solberg. Yeah. Bringing it to you from... St. Paul, Minnesota. We're at the Hams Brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this on the soundboard forever. I've been wanting to use it for so long, and now is the time. It does I think this episode sense. is going to be this good. From downtown, at five feet, I'm not sure if you saw, at 160 pounds, some such as driver's license, ladies and gentlemen, Jake Summer! Yeah, I was already annoyed. Let's go. Let's do it. What have you got for us? All right, Chris. I would like to share with you a crazy, unbelievable secret U.S. government operation that I just learned about. Ooh. Ooh. Is it like declassified recently or something? Uh, no, not recently, but I had never heard of this. And I it's like so it. outlandish. I was like, I like what? It. I like How it. How is this also not a weird movie? I'm in. So in the mid-1950s, knowledge of radiation in space was still very uncertain. It was only four years before that that James A. Van Allen, a University of Iowa physicist, had been experimenting with Geiger counters on satellites. He so claimed... We we're new to radiation in general. You're right. In the 50s. I mean, we're yes. still like blasting over concrete cutouts of people in the desert going, wow, that looks really explosive. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we just, we didn't really know the extent of, I mean, this is in the 50s, it's just after right. World War II, we probably yeah. were sort of aware that Japanese people were growing third arms out of their heads, but we weren't quite there yet with all the damage and the and the radiological implications of what Radiological happen. implications, that sounded very smart. Yes, maybe we'll title the, the, uh, the episode that, Radiological Implications. I like that. Is radiological a word? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, you have James A. Van Allen at the University of Iowa. He's a physicist. He had been experimenting with Geiger counters mounted on satellites and had just claimed to have discovered that the planet was encircled by a, quote, deadly band of x-rays and that this radiation from the sun, hit the satellite so rapidly and furiously that all of the devices jammed and went off the charts. Van Allen announced his findings on May 1st of 1958 at the joint meeting of the National Academy of Sciences and the American Physical Society. And the following day... Wait a second. That idea was a mouthful. The American Physical Society? Yes. Is that just like turn your head and cough? No, right. I think they're trying to say physics. But uh, they didn't just call it the Physics Society. They called it the Physical Society. That just sounds like someone's going to grab your nuts I, and prescribe that, something you don't want to take. <laughs> I don't know what your experiences have been, but mine have been not that bad. Okay, so... Give it a few years. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Mr. My Back Hurts the other day. Yeah. That has gotten better, luckily. Mm-hmm. Um, just wait till it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> it comes, man. Right at about 40. 
Red Wolf 40, you're going to need the American Physical Society on your side. I still have five years then. Six years? Yeah. I'm 34. Yeah, just you wait. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So besides the American Physical Society, the day after that, the Chicago, Chicago Tribune bannered the headline, quote, radiation belt dims hope of space travel. So well, they thought everybody was going to get just microwaved if they went right. into space. Exactly. So he's launching these things up that? in there, and he goes, it's off the chart. We literally can't leave the atmosphere, or we're going to get fried by x-rays. Right. So the story then continued. Quote, death lurking in a belt of unexpectedly heavy radiation about 700 miles above the Earth. Today dimmed man's dream of conquering outer space. News of the, quote, hot band of peril, which sounds like a sweet rock band, by the way. I was thinking it was like a new, like, uh, something you'd see on Instagram. Like, hey, check out my new shirts from Hot Band Apparel. (laughs) Band Apparel. (laughs) No, of peril. Like you're you're in danger. Hot Band Apparel. (laughs) It's like that hot topic. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you got your new Hot Band Apparel? I sure do. Okay, so news of the, quote, hot band of peril immediately cast doubt on the space flight on the I'm sorry on this stupid microphone well you broke it last week I'm sorry but you're just gonna have to which, make your way through it in, in our time is like 10 like, minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> okay so we got a hot band apparel it's immediately casting doubt on any space flight at all okay. possibility nobody wants up. to go into the hot band exactly and as the Soviets and US were embroiled in the beginning of the space race Didn't they just send cats up there instead well hold on <laughs> <laughs> in fact, when Van Allen's findings came to light, claims that Laika, the Russian dog, would have been able to survive for a week in space aboard Sputnik 2, as the Soviets had claimed, were cast into serious doubt. For the record, the Soviets had claimed that after six days, the dog's oxygen ran out and she was euthanized with poisoned food. Oh. It was, however, later learned that Leica, the first live animal. Is that the most humane way to do it? Can't you just give them a shot? I don't know. Maybe it's really tasty. Like if you were going to, if you're, maybe, you know, someday when my dog has to be put down, I could do a cheeseburger. Yeah. That just maybe has some, I don't know, what do you put in it? Some sleepy stuff in it. Yes. We won't go there. But poor Leica, uh, what actually happened, that's what the Soviets claimed. What actually happened was that the first live animal to be launched into space, this poor dog, had actually died just hours after launch from overheating and stress when a malfunction in the capsule turned the temperature into, like, just basically an oven. Oh, no. Poor pup. Yeah. In Soviet Russia, we have no pita. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I guess that's the that's all it's going to be for Doge going to the moon, huh? Ooh, mm. that brings on a whole different meaning now. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Doges, yeah. Did you get something in the mail yet? No. Okay, we're both getting our petrol pup. <gasps> There's Leashes. petrol pups. Yes. Ooh, petrol pups. I yes. like it. I so from the makers of Petrol Box, we're getting something from Petrol Pup. You can also check that out on their website. But Petrol Box is what we're here to talk to you about today. That is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiasts. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all of that to be sent right there to your doorstep. It's curated selection of the latest 
and greatest gear in the industry. And Chris is repping them right now. I had to stand yeah. up to figure out what shirt you're wearing. Yeah, I'm wearing one of them. Because chances are one of the two of us is wearing a Petrobox shirt at any given time. It's true. It's true. Um, let's see. The Petrobox costs less than 20 bucks a month. The Petrobox Premium, this other higher end, gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout. That will get you $6 off your first month. Okay. Right, so this we're talking about this dog. So they lied. They lied, yeah. They said, yeah, the dog was fine. We came Six back. Six days and, and yeah, we euthanized it. No problem. It was great. Communism's, Life is great. Communism's great. Our dog lived, but in the yep. truth, they microwaved the dog <laughs> yes. within mere moments. Yes. Yeah. Good job, dickheads. <laughs> so, regardless, what famed scientist Van Allen had discovered were bands of high-energy particles that are held in place by strong magnetic fields known now as Van Allen radiation belts. Have you heard of these? My boy's wicked smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A year later, Van Allen appeared on the cover of Time magazine as he opened an entirely new field of research, magnetospheric physics. Do you want to try that again? Yeah. Magne magnetospheric physics. Magnetospheric physics. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah. not as easy as you thought. No, it isn't. Um, he assisted in propelling the U.S. into the forefront of the international space race. More interesting, however, is that on the same day Van Allen held his press conference in May of 1958, he was approached by the government to assist with a top-secret military project. The project was known as Starfish Prime. What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's actually like... All I could think was... about was Patrick from Spongebob <laughs> immediately, which is the opposite of any kind of intelligence, anything. So Starfish Prime was actually part of a bigger covert operation called like Project Fishbowl or something like that, but okay. I just wanted to focus in on Starfish Prime okay. because it's a wild name. Well, I've never heard of Starfish Prime, so this is good. Just wait. Okay. It's nutty. Okay. Okay. So the thought was that if we're going to be sending men beyond our atmosphere, they'd need to be able to traverse through the supposed deadly barrier of radiation. Right. right? They're so like, they just crap, we didn't know this was out here, and we have to get by it and not get microwaved to death. Yeah. How are we going to do this, Mr. Van Allen? By sending starfish into space. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> it's the prime option. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that pun. The plan that Van Allen and the government came up with sounded like it was straight out of the Looney Tunes universe. They would send an atomic bomb into space to literally blow a hole in the radiation belt. What? <laughs> That's so stupid. Yes. I just love that the first game. Were these guys coming up with this over like poker? Like I have no a card clue. Table I have no clue. Was, was Trump there? <laughs> just nuke it. Let's just nuke. nuke the radiation belt. Didn't he? Trump said he wanted to nuke the hurricane. Remember? No, I don't. I think he said he was wanted, that for real. I think so. I think would he that, said he wanted okay. to nuke the. Well, can we just nuke it? Would that work? <laughs> it would probably. Yes, it would probably work, but it would also probably circulate radiation all over the world. Yes. It's not a good plan. I mean, it might be. Uh, well, look at Starfish Prime, Chris. Okay, tell me more. Look at Starfish Prime. <laughs> okay, tell me more. Okay, so you need to realize... Maybe this is what happened is Trump got access to all the classified Ooh, documents. You're right. And he saw Starfish Prime. Like, well, they nuked the sky to get the radiation away. Why can't we just nuke the hurricane? Yes, okay. obviously. Makes so, a lot more sense. <laughs> you need to realize that at the height of the Cold War, the thinking was, quote, if we don't do it, the Russians will. 
And in fact, over the next few years, both the United States and the Soviet Union tested various atomic bombs in space with little or no disruption in the Van Allen belt. Science historian James Fleming speculated that the experiments may have been more nefarious in nature than simply wanting to create a hole in space. Just wanted to verify this because it seemed worth, worth, ver- worth verifying. Uh, President Trump has suggested multiple times to senior Homeland Security and national security officials that they explore using nuclear bombs to stop hurricanes from hitting the United States, according to sources who have heard the president's private remarks and have been briefed on National Security Council memorandum that recorded these comments. Behind the scenes, during one hurricane briefing at the White House, Trump said, quote, I got it. I got it. Why don't we nuke them? According to one source who was there, quote, they start forming off the coast of Africa, so they're moving across the Atlantic. We drop a bomb inside the eye of the hurricane and it disrupts it. Why can't we do that? I love how he goes, wait, 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 I got it, I got it. (laughs) Asked how the briefer reacted, the source recalled he said something to the effect of, sir, we'll look into that. Uh The briefer Uh was, knock back on his heels, the source in the room added. You could hear a gnat fart in the meeting. People were astonished. After this meeting ended, we thought, what the fuck do we do with this? (laughs) That is amazing. Well, as long as you nuke it over by Africa. (laughs) I got it, I got it. (laughs) I love how he started it with that. Oh, man. All right. Yes. Okay. Well, it sounds like his, I don't know, maybe he's one of his ancestors as part of this Project Starfish Prime thing. <laughs> Just nuke the sky. Okay, but what I, what I was explaining there, and I think you missed, is the whole mindset leading into the Cold War was like, look, I don't care how outlandish it is. If we don't try it, the Russians are going to. And we right. can't let them get the upper hand. Yes, yeah, so we've got to try it. And so uh, all. Wait a second. They what? did this? Oh, yeah. I thought they were just talking about it. Over the next few years, both the United States and the Soviet Union tested various atomic bombs in space with little or no disruption in the Van Allen belt. Was there any EMP effects? Just wait. <laughs> okay, I'm just... <laughs> oh, was there? <laughs> Science historian James Fleming speculated that the experiments may have actually been more nefarious in nature than simply wanting to create a hole to space. The U.S. military may have theorized that the Van Allen belts could be used to attack the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so, Operation Starship Prime was officially underway. The first Starship... Fe- the what? The first... Starship? Starship. We- I- <laughs> wow, this it's is a starfish super- starship! <laughs> super classified. <laughs> The first Starfish Prime launch. It's so silly to say that it's hard. The first Starfish Prime launch on June 20th of 1962 at Johnston Island in the Pacific had to be aborted when the Thor rocket failed and the missile began to break apart. The nuclear warhead was destroyed mid-flight and radioactive contamination rained back on the island. Oh, wonderful. Word got out, and protests soon erupted, all the way from Tokyo to London to Moscow, citing, quote, the world's violent opposition to the July 9th test. I have to take a drink. That's fine. You can take a drink. We'll allow it. Some reports even suggest there was concern that the blast of a nuclear weapon high in the atmosphere would lead to a chain reaction, burning off all of the oxygen in the entire atmosphere. Oh, no. That's obviously they were didn't like, happen. Well, this could happen. Later calculations proved that the chances of that happening were minimal. So we're going to well, go ahead. Not- <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. What? More than zero? <laughs> 
However, those closer to the site in Hawaii didn't seem the least bit concerned with this notion. They just wanted a tan. Well, listen, <laughs> the following headline was ran in the Honolulu newspaper. Quote, nuclear blast tonight may be dazzling. Good views likely. <laughs> What is, so what did it look what? like? How far how far in the air were they detonating these? Okay, let me get into the specifics. Because there's, there's no there's no atmosphere right. for which to have any kind of interaction or pressure wave or anything like that. Right. So the, the, the nuclear nuclear explosion probably couldn't have been that strong because it's no, it was. Oh, was it? Because oh, there's was. nothing for it to push against. Right. Right? So what is right. it doing? All right, tell me. Okay, well, first of all, we're partying in Hawaii. We are. Yeah, didn't you just hear what I said? No, oh, I blast you, tonight you might me. be dazzling. I'm trying to figure out if I was supposed likely. to be imagining myself in Hawaii, which I'll yes, never you, go you, there. Why not? It's beautiful. I've so been there what? six times. You go to Florida, it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> How many times do you hear, Hawaiian man steals SUV? <laughs> How many times do you hear, Honolulu people watch nuclear explosion in the sky? <laughs> well, true. Okay, so hotels in Hawaii held rooftop parties for the event. On the night of July 9th, 1962, beachfront hotels in Honolulu were throwing, quote, rainbow bomb parties. Wow. Gathering sky gazers to the rooftop to prepare for a sight seldom seen in the South Pacific. Or anywhere? No. What are they looking for? <gasps> Northern lights. The aurora. Wow, it caused an aurora? You see. Normally, the aurora borealis, or northern lights, are created by coronal mass ejections from the sun. Interacting with the magnetic field of the Earth. Right. These coronal mass, mass ejections, or CMEs, <laughs> which I'm going to say because I'm dehydrated, <clears throat> are simply giant bursts of radiation. The radiation energizes the electrons in the atmosphere, causing them to emit light. Generally, however, the amount of radiation from the sun is very small, and is concentrated at the poles, hence the northern lights. Right. However, you can see them here in Minnesota. Have you seen yeah, them? Yeah, I have seen them. Yeah, I can see them from north, my house in Wisconsin. Yep. Uh, however, it turns out when you happen to ignite a nuclear blast in the atmosphere, the radiation will cause massive auroras just right there in the Pacific. Just, okay. Yes. So while scientists didn't know exactly what the effects would be, the public was expecting a good light show at the least. Yeah, well, at least they're positive about it. The mood on the other side of the planet was somewhat darker. In London, 300 British citizens demonstrated outside the U.S. Embassy. How many? 300. Ooh. I know that doesn't <laughs> I'm realizing that after they, I wrote they, it. Have they ever been to Portland? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not very exciting sounding. But they were chanting, quote, no more tests and scuffling with police. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Scuffling. Canon L. John Collins of St. Paul's Cathedral called the test, quote, an evil thing and said that those responsible were, quote, stupid fools. I think a lot of the, so you have this fear of nuclear anything because of what happened in World War II and right? what the Americans did to the Japanese. Well, that and there apparently was still a small chance that we could just ignite all of the oxygen on the planet on fire. That doesn't seem, that seems like scare tactics to me from one side that just doesn't want it to happen. I'm just saying that there's probably this latent, you're in the 50s, getting into the early 60s, kind of this, you know, World War II is kind of behind you, but the only knowledge as a layman that you have of nuclear anything is it's bad. It is, it is bad. It just killed, you know, everyone in Nagasaki and Hiroshima is dead right. or completely disfigured. It's bad. Right. It's bad. 
Yes. And this is fresh in their mind. So they're saying, that well, and you're on the brink of the Cold War. So you're worried that all of this testing. I don't think people in the late 50s, early 60s were <clears throat> super aware of the Cold War yet. When did they start doing like bomb shelter? Uh, uh, like, I, what do you call it? The raid practices. Maybe they were. I, maybe that was in like, the 60s. Instead I of guess. fire drills, you did the whole air raid drills. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I'm not super versed on the history of what was going on there. I just thought it was more when, you know, Vietnam era kind of thing was going on. True. Yeah. Um, regardless, Irzivestia uh, was a Soviet newspaper, and it carried the headline, quote, Crime of American Atom Mongers. United States carries a nuclear explosion in space. Did you say Atom Monger? Atom Monger. <laughs> Clearly that's translated, but yeah. I like the term Atom Monger. Soviet film director Sergei Yutskevich told the paper, We know with whom we are dealing, yet we hoped until the last moment, that the conscience, if not the wisdom, of the American atom mongers would hear the angry voices of millions and millions of ordinary of, people of the earth. If only the dogs, voices of mothers and scientists of their own country. If only the dogs could talk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So to put things into perspective, kind of the hypocrisy here, just eight months before Wait, the Soviets... are you telling me... <laughs> Are you telling me no. that the Soviet Union wasn't telling the truth? There the was. Media? Are you telling me that some their media slight propaganda involved? Oh, well, slight. I'm surprised. So why don't you enlighten me on what it was? Well, they were a bit uh, hippocratic. Uh, hippocratic? No, that's the oath. Hypocritical. Yeah. I was like what? They're well, very like, honest with their convictions. <laughs> <laughs> Just eight months before, the Soviets tested the Tsar bomb which was the most powerful nuclear weapon ever d detonated, which was a 50-megaton hydrogen bomb on an island in the Arctic Ocean north of Russia. How big was the Nagasaki bomb and those bombs? <clears throat> uh, less than 10 megatons. Yeah, what does it say? It's uh, 12 and 18 kilotons. Kilotons? Yeah, kilotons. Not megat megaton. So it's much smaller. Like a fraction, you know... One thing that would be good to nuke away, though, Chris, what is dirt and swirls on your car's Ooh, finish. Yes, yeah, if there's any way we yes, could. Yes, I think we could talk to the guys over at Oberk Car Care. They are the source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that's research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And these are great products. It's a simple, foolproof, two-step process that I use for buffing and the compounding. And they're also coming out with a one-stage new product. I yeah. I'm excited for that one. We're going to be giving that one away as soon as they, you know, get us dialed in. I think Absolutely. it's a really, really new product. It's real fresh. Yes. So right now they're actually offering a whopping 20% off your next order when you use the code OVERCREST. That's more than normal. 20%? 20%. I read this every week, Chris. Oh, okay. I'm just getting mixed up with uh, the other ad we did. My bad. Right. No, 20%. But it is a huge discount. It is good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you use the code OVERCREST, not only on OberkCarCare.com, but also on DetailedImage.com and CarSuppliesWarehouse.com. They are dialed in all over the place. Those three websites, you can go to either one you like. Use the code OVERCREST, 20% off your next order. All right, Chris, Operation Starfish Prime. Okay. Just before 11 p.m. on July 9th, 1962, the PGM-17A Thor ballistic missile was launched from Johnston Island, 900 miles southwest of Hawaii. This thing sounds awesome. The missile, 
arced up to a height of over 660 miles, then kept its trajectory back downward. What, what Thir- goes up must come down. 13 minutes after launch, at the pre-programmed height of 240 miles, the 1.4 megaton nuclear warhead detonated. <laughs> Suddenly, the sky above the Pacific was illuminated by a bright auroral phenomenon. Quote, For three minutes after the blast, one reporter in Honolulu wrote, the moon was centered in a sky partly blood red and partly pink. Clouds appeared as dark silhouettes against the lighted night sky. Another witness said, quote, a bright white flash burned through the clouds, rapidly changing to an expanding green ball of iridescence extending into a clear sky above the overcast. Others, as far away as the Fiji Islands, 2,000 miles from Johnston, described the light show as breathtaking. In Maui, a woman observed auroral lights that lasted a half hour in a, quote, steady display, not pulsating or flickering like you'd see the auroras. Taking the shape of a gigantic V, it then shaded from yellow to the start of dull red, then to icy blue, and finally to white. So that's completely different. Than it's the- like wild colors. Now, keep Were they in handing mind- out shrooms at one of these parties? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> keep in mind that 1.4 megatons is the equivalent of 1.4 million tons of TNT exploding all at once. And 1.5 million tons is, how many pounds is that? That's a lot. It's 1.5 million times 2,000, yes. whatever that is. That is a lot. A bi- it's just a big number. It is a big yeah. number. Can you think of like crates of just dynamite in front of you? That would be a lot of crates. Yeah, it would be a huge amount. It was approximately 100 times more powerful than the atomic bomb that we dropped at Hiroshima. Hmm. In my research, that the largest weapon... Did everybody's cell phone stop working? They do. Well, <laughs> <laughs> funny you should ask. No, I did want to uh, interject here in my research. I was trying to look at like what the biggest we- uh, nuclear weapon we ever yep. tested was. Castle Bravo was 15 megatons. Ooh. That's... 2.5 times greater than what they predicted it was going to be. Okay, so... Six megatons. Side note. Yes. Do you, have you ever heard of the Moab? Like, the place? No, the bomb. No. It's the massive ordnance air blast, or, oh. the, or the mother of all bombs. Okay. So it's the largest conventional large oh, yield yeah. bomb. yeah. And they dropped it on some, like, terrace place in, in the place where terrorists live. And they it just dropped, and you, it's, it's just this huge shockwave. But just to give you a perspective, okay. this is the largest non-nuclear. So it is. It weighs twenty-one thousand pounds. Okay, it is thirty feet by forty inches. So it's thirty feet by three and a half feet. Wow. I mean, it is a. It's a bomb. It's a really big one. What do you think the yield on that thing is? Oh, geez. Okay, so we're talking like megatons, kilotons. I, it's probably it's got to be in the kiloton ratio. Eleven tons. Oh, just ton, just eleven tons. Eleven tons. That's so it. just when you think of the difference between <laughs> this is the biggest bomb we've ever made that's not nuclear, and it's right. only eleven tons of TNT. Yes, and we're talking one point four million tons. tons. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so. Back God, to nuclear energy is incredible. It's weird. It really is. Yes. We need more nuclear plants. Can we just build more nuclear plants and be done with all this wind and solar and everything else? No, I, I like the idea of wind and solar. Why? I don't know. It seems a lot safer than this. We can build this stuff pretty We safe. probably can. Yeah, yes. just don't stop building it on the ocean. 
Can we can we not do that? Can we not build nuclear plants on the ocean where there's tsunamis and earthquakes? Wait, we is just that not, where we're building them? What's what Fukushima was? There's oh. an earthquake and a tsunami and everything else. Right. Can we just build them like? What in, if we actually build them in the middle of the ocean? Mm. It'd be hard to launch the nuclear waste from, into space from there, which is I think what we should do. We should just launch it into the sun. <laughs> Wait, how do you, how do you launch it? No one can see that you just you just throw it. You just go <laughs> like this. You take that rod and you just throw it up into the atmosphere. Why can't we do that? Why don't we just launch the stuff into space? It'll take a long time to get there, but we put te- we put a Tesla in space. <laughs> why can't we just send all the nuclear waste and just launch it into space? Yeah, I, there's no reason why I, we can't send the nuclear waste sh- into space. Yeah, I, maybe. <laughs> what do you mean, maybe? I'm just thinking we're, there are probably people smarter than us that have thought of this <laughs> and said, "Well, <laughs> why don't we just nuke the hurricanes?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, back to Starfish Prime. The resulting explosion was roughly spherical, with the shockwave expanding in all directions in the complete absence of any atmosphere at that height. And because there was no oxygen to burn in space, there was no fireball at all, simply a blinding bright light. However, as you may have guessed, the effects of the explosion were far more than a simple light show. When a nuclear bomb detonates, those same electrons that generate light as auroras also create massively powerful magnetic fields. This is, of course, called an electromagnetic pulse, or EMP. The strength of the pulse was so huge that it affected the flow of electricity on the Earth hundreds of miles away. In Hawaii, it blew out hundreds of streetlights and caused widespread telephone outages. Burglar alarms were set off. Aircraft in the surrounding area experienced instrument malfunctions and electrical surges. All radio communication blacked out. So this is, but this, you got to keep in mind, this is detonated in space. 200 and some miles above the atmosphere. Can you imagine what it would do if they detonated it on the ground? No. 30 miles above the atmosphere? Yeah. There's, they did a study, one of the, um, I think it was the Bush administration, not not the Bush administration specifically, but during this period, they did a study on EMPs, and they consider it, I know right now the greatest threat to the world is global warming and and white supremacists and all this other stuff that you see on the news. The the greatest, I'm not making this up, this is what they say. They said the greatest threat is an EMP attack because you can detonate an EMP in the middle of the United States and a large portion of the entire uh, central part of the country, dead, done, no power, nothing, nothing. All you have to do is detonate an EMP above the United States. It's over. Hmm. Like that. It's done. That's why you got to have a rabbit diesel. That's why you got to <laughs> have a rabbit diesel. I was waiting for this. Yeah, you got to have a rabbit diesel. <sighs> I wanted to talk more about the car we're going to get, but we would have already gotten it by the time this comes out. That's true. Yeah. Is it diesel? Is it EMP proof? I'm Chris? not telling you anything. I don't want a diesel. I'm not telling you anything. All right. The EMP had been predicted by scientists, but the Starfish Prime Pulse was far larger than anyone had ever expected. Can you imagine how bad it would be if this really did happen? It would be very bad. It would be catastrophic. All the supply lines, supply chain would be disrupted. Yeah, we think it was there bad be, during COVID. There would be no internet. Do you remember when there was that pipeline got closed that ran from like Texas to the East Coast and everybody's like freaking out? Like, oh my God, imagine if all the power stations <laughs> just all, they, Stop uh, they all have computers yep. that can be hacked by children running them. They're not, I don't know if they're hardened or not, but a lot of our infrastructure is not. And that's what the, the paper was about. This is a huge, huge loophole to basically take our country out. 
EMPs. I sound like a crazy person you right now. You are a crazy person. Take your tinfoil hat off, Chris. This is this is a government report. <laughs> I, I'm gonna pull, I'm pulling it up. <laughs> Go ahead, I continue. read this government secret. <laughs> it was called Starfish Prime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it basically, it's called the EMP Commission, and it was a commission that was. Uh, would it be contracted by the uh, National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2001? So, yeah, during the Bush administration. The nature and magnitude of potential high-altitude EMP threats to the United States from all potentially hostile states or non-state actors that could have or could acquire nuclear weapons from ballistic missiles enable them to perform a high-altitude EMP attack against the United States within the next 15 years. So they were like, in the next 15 years, this could happen. Right. It was a, it's, it's a big deal. It was on Not the news. to add credence to your crazy talk, I'm going to continue my story about this EMP. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. So the pulse of electrons from the Starfish Prime detonation damaged at least six satellites, including one Soviet, all of which eventually failed due to the blast. Other satellite failures at the time were probably linked to the explosion, but were not fully documented. The overall effect shocked scientists. Can I say one more thing about this? Yeah. So I'm looking at this this chart or this this report. The EMP Commission. Uh, they finished their work in 2008. They were commissioned in 2001. The EMP Commission in 2008 estimated that within 12 months of a nationwide blackout, up to 90% of the U.S. population would perish from starvation, disease, and societal breakdown. Wow. 90%. I'm not fucking around. This is serious We are in shit. the right place, though. The Midwest, the breadbasket. I just wish I had a farm. Yeah, that would be great, except for when winter comes. What are you going to do? Go milk Betsy. You don't have Betsy. None of us do. That's the problem. Oh, I really need a cow, Chris. And some chickens. There's, there's, there's no surviving any of this type of stuff. 90%. Yeah. This is dangerous. Just because we're talking about EMPs and detonating them over people with, like, sunglasses on going, ooh, ah. <laughs> Look at the lights. When they're, realistically, it's bad. Pretty bad. Yeah. But there would be some pretty auroras to look My at. My guess is that if they, if, like, Russia, China, Iran, or whoever wanted, or Palestine, I think they're also in nuclear power. If these countries wanted to do this, it would be more localized, I think. Okay. I think, I don't, I think they would maybe go after, like, D.C. or... Right. Los Angeles, and it would be like a localized thing. But even that would destroy the economy. Right. The whole oh, world yeah. economy would go to, I mean, it is. Imagine if North Korea decided, you know what? Let's do this. You don't need to have to make an EMP. You just have the nuclear device blow up in the atmosphere. That's all you have to do. You don't have to make it be a specific. Yeah, but then it's that is. It's not like is... the movies where you have one in a briefcase, and everybody's like, oh, we're going to shut down the security system at this casino with this EMP. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, that's not No, really... that one was in the back of the van, Chris. And it blew the van up. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's scary. I, I it, still think that would be considered a nuclear attack, and then you'd have mutually assured discretion. Yeah. Well, if you're North Korea, what do you care? True. Quote, to our great surprise and dismay, it developed that Starfish added significantly to the electrons in the Van Allen belt, the Atomic Energy Commission Glenn Seaborg wrote in his memoirs. This result contravened all of our predictions. Okay, so do you remember the whole point of this experiment was to decide if we could go to space. Well, yeah, they wanted to blast a hole through the radiation. Uh-huh. What did they do? They created a hell of a lot of they it. They created a whole bunch more radiation. <laughs> Who could have ever I mean, these guys were smart dudes. Right. But in hindsight, pretty dumb. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in it's like the hurricane. Let's just let's nuke it. Let's nuke it. So in the end, though, because I was like, okay, well, then how do we get to space if these bands exist? Right. NASA was 
able to simply mitigate the effects of the Van Allen belt for manned spaceflight. For example, engineers fashioned shielding that consisted of a spacecraft hull and having instrumentation lining the walls added further protection. And NASA designed the Apollo trajectory and orbit in a way that would avoid the belt's most dangerous parts. So it's not just a fully uniform, like, shell of radiation. It's all these bands, and they're able to basically map out where they are and avoid them. So both the Soviets and the United States conducted their last high-altitude nuclear explosion on November 1st, 1962. Jake, what? Can we do an episode on debunking and... Can you call it, like, if you prove something correct, is it called, yeah, I totally bunked the hell out of that. Do you bunk it, or do you de- It's the well, opposite of the debunk. opposite of Mythbusters? You want to do, like, myth, myth con- confirming? You confirm it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it would be interesting to do the the moon. Did we land on the moon? Like, the point counterpoint of did we land on the moon? Because there's a lot of people like, we didn't land on the moon. Yeah, or you stand- could just look at the images that we take through telescopes of the moon landing site, and you can see the landers. Yeah, but that's maybe not true. Maybe, what do you mean that's maybe, maybe it's not just true? fabricated by the government. Okay, buy a really, really good telescope and do it yourself. You can't. Your telescope isn't good enough. Well, then let's go to something. Let's go to the moon. <laughs> let's go to the moon. <laughs> let's go look and see if that flag's actually. I think we were at the. I'm not a crazy uh, yes, person. No. But I think what? Be... <laughs> what were we just talking about? I'm a, little, I'm a little bit of a crazy person. <laughs> but I think it would be uh, it would be really interesting to find out if the new car that you just picked up would survive an EMP. Oh, no. Will it? <laughs> You don't want oh, it no. to. No, <laughs> I don't want a diesel. They're dumb. They don't uh, rev. They're not fun. <laughs> I hate this. All right. So the Soviets and the US stopped with their nuclear testing in space because it didn't prove anything. It was also the same day that the Soviets began dismantling their missiles in Cuba realizing that the two nations had come close to nuclear war and prompted by the results of Starfish Prime and continuing atomic tests by the Soviets, President Kennedy and Premier Nikita Khrushchev signed the Limited Nuclear Test Ban Treaty on July 25th of 1963, banning atmospheric and exo-atmospheric nuclear testing. And while the U.S. and the Soviet Union would continue their race to space at full throttle, For the time being, the treaty significantly slowed the arms race between the two superpowers. However, the sheer craziness of blowing up one of the largest nuclear bombs in history in an attempt to disrupt radiation belts will go down in history as one of the crazy experiments I've ever heard of. Have you, you know what's interesting is, uh, yes, crazy, super crazy, and ridiculously crazy. (laughs) But it's, it's weird, like, when you look at fiction and you look at movies and books, Nuclear bombs are like some of those like deus ex machina thing. Right. It's just where it's just like, oh, let's just nuke it. You know, it's like, let's just, oh, there's no, the the, the sun is running out of power. Oh, just, right. Just yeah, yeah. Just Any send, sci-fi you're yeah, talking so about. Just send a bomb. Blow yeah. it up. You know, it's no problem. Yes. One of my favorite movies in that regard is Sunshine. Yes. Which is a phenomenal movie. <laughs> phenomenal soundtrack. And there and there's this this great there's great scene, and I think what people are thinking is they want to see, they want to find out, right? They need to, they, humans need to satisfy a curiosity. Okay. And there's this scene in the movie where, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but there's there's this guy who sits in this room, and there's um, there's, yeah. a, there's an LCD screen. Well, yep. it's, it's a window, but it's got like a, it's got a shade like a on it. a filter on it. A filter, so you, like a dent, neutral density filter, so you can look at the sun. As they get closer and closer, they can just stare at it. And the guy keeps like <laughs> reducing the amount of of shade that's on the sun, right. and, and these guys are all dying anyway. They're flying into the sun, right? right? So they don't give a shit. This guy's wearing Ray Bans, and his skin is all blistered. 
And uh, and there's this one guy has to go out on the. They're flying into the sun. It's got a huge shield, right? It's got a huge uh-huh. shield that's going into the sun. And this one guy has to like traipse out onto this thing to close one of the. Oh, that's right. One of the panels. One of didn't the panels close. didn't close, so the whole ship's gonna blow up. And he goes out there, and the guy sitting, the guy that's obsessed with looking at the sun. The guy doesn't. Oh, that's right. The guy doesn't make it back in time. He's like, oh, and he's like, Takata, what do you see? What do you see? As the guy's staring into the sun with his bare eyes from like, like a light minute away, right? And, and it's just <laughs> like, holy shit. But that's like that core of human. When you think about what do you see? What do you see? And being fascinated with like this impossible thing that we're not supposed to know. Humans aren't supposed to be able to do this, right? We're not supposed to be able to do Which is probably why it was such an attraction on the rooftop hotel bars. 100%. Absolutely. Jeff, like, I would have loved to have been there. And you see think this about- giant bright light in the sky in the middle of the night, and then just these crazy unnatural auroras. And the attraction to a scientist to be just knowing that you can. Yes. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> well, unless you're a scientist in the 60s when the internet doesn't exist. <laughs> well, let's and, just blow up the radiation. Very little oversight, too. I'm sure. Oh, I'm, I'm just, sure. I'm sure. Well, the government came to him, and so he's like, yeah, let's can, blow it let's up. Blow it up. Let's nuke ever, the radiation. Did you ever blow anything up when you were a kid? Um, Maybe. Didn't you take firecrackers oh, and yeah. stick them in things and oh, blow yeah. things up? Put them in your like a, a Hot Wheels car. You stick it in the window. And blow it up, <laughs> and, or you make napalm and throw it at stuff, and then yeah. light it on fire. Yeah, everybody wants to blow things up, including the radiation belts. Apparently, yeah, apparently the sky. We want to blow up the sky. So on uh, on Thursday or Friday, uh, Friday's episode, we're going to be talking about our journey that you and I have done already. No, we would have already done that. I know, but we're going to talk about it on Friday. We're going to talk about it with with our people that listen to this wonderful podcast. Right, but no, this isn't going out till next Monday, Chris. Oh, so they've already seen it. They've already heard the episode. Yes, you've heard. We are in recording time travel hell right now. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on. I think it's time to go. It was the EMP. I have no idea what's going on on Friday, Monday, yesterday, tomorrow. No idea, and we'll leave it at that. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. He did what we all must learn to do. You and you and you and you. Duck and cover. Be sure to remember what hurt the turtle just did, friends, because every one of us must remember to do the same thing. That's what this film is all about. Duck and cover. This is an official civil defense film produced in cooperation with the Federal Civil Defense Administration and in consultation with the Safety Commission of the National Education Association. Produced by Archer Productions, Incorporated. Hey, Bert, come on out and meet all these nice people. Please? All right. We really can't blame you. You see, Bert is a very, very careful fellow. When there's danger, this is the way he keeps from being hurt. Sometimes it even saves his life. That's why these children are practicing to duck and cover, just as you do in your school. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. Since it may be used against us, we must get ready for it, just as we are ready for many other dangers that are around us all the time.
fire is a danger. It can burn whole buildings if someone is careless. But we are ready for fire. We have a fine fire department to put out the fire. And you have fire drills in your school so you know what to do. Automobiles can be dangerous too. They sometimes cause bad accidents. But we are ready. We have safety rules that car drivers and people who are walking must obey. Now, we must be ready for a new danger, the atomic bomb. First, you have to know what happens when an atomic bomb explodes. You will know when it comes. We hope it never comes, but we must get ready. It looks something like this. There is a bright flash, brighter than the sun, brighter than anything you've ever seen. If you are not ready, did not know what to do, it could hurt you in different ways. It could knock you down hard or throw you against a tree or a wall. It is such a big explosion, it can smash in buildings, knock signboards over, and break windows all over town. But if you duck and cover like birds, you will be much safer. You know how bad sunburn feels. The atomic bomb flash could burn you worse than a terrible sunburn, especially where you're not covered. Now, you and I don't have shells to fall into like birds and turtles, so we have to cover up in our own way. First, you duck, and then you cover. And very tightly, you cover the back of your neck, your face. Duck and cover underneath a table or desk or anything else close by. In Betty's school, they're talking about the atomic bomb, too. Betty is asking the teacher, how can we tell when the atomic bomb may explode? And the teacher is explaining that there are two kinds of attack, with warning and without any warning. We think that most of the time we will be warned before the bomb explodes, so there will be time for us to get into our homes, schools, or some other safe place. Our civil defense workers, our men in uniform, will do everything they can to warn us before enemy planes can bring a bomb near us. You may be in your schoolyard playing when the signal comes. That signal means to stop whatever you are doing and get to the nearest safe place fast. Always remember, a flash of an atomic bomb can come at any time, no matter where you may be. You might be out playing at home when the warning comes. Then be sure to get into the house fast, for your parents have fixed a safe place for you to go. If you are not close to home when you hear the warning, go to the nearest safe cover. Know where you are to go, or ask an older person to help you. You know the places marked with the S sign? There are safe places to go when you hear the alarm. If there is a warning, you will hear it before the bomb explodes. But sometimes, and this is very, very important, sometimes the bomb might explode without any warning. Then the first thing we would know about it would be the flash. And that means duck and cover fast wherever you are. There's no time to look around or wait. Be like Bert. When there is a flash, duck and cover and do it fast. Here are some older boys showing what to do. The flash comes when you are not in the classroom. This is what to do if you should be in a corridor. You duck and cover tight against the wall this way. Remember to keep your face in the back of your neck covered tightly. Try to fall away from windows or doors with glass in them. Then, if the glass breaks and flies through the air, it won't cut you. You might be eating your lunch when the flash comes. Duck and cover under the table. 
Then, if the explosion makes anything in the room fall down, it can't fall on you. Getting ready means we will all have to be able to take care of ourselves. The bomb might explode when there are no grown-ups here. Paul and Patty knows this, and they're always ready to take care of themselves. Here they are on their way to school on a beautiful spring day, but no matter where they go or what they do, they always try to remember what to do if the atom bomb explodes right there. It's a bomb, duck and cover. Paul and Patty know what to do. Paul covered the back of his head so that he wouldn't be burned, and Patty covered herself with the coat she was carrying. They knew how to duck and cover. They acted right away when the flash came. If they had been at this doorway when the bomb flashed, Paul and Patty would have ducked and covered this way, like this girl. Heavy doorways are a good place to duck and cover. She will be safer, too. Here's Tony going to his Cub Scout team. Tony knows the bomb can explode any time of the year, day or night. He's ready for it. Duck and cover! a boy, Tony. That flash means act fast. Tony knows that it helps to get to any kind of cover. This wall was close by, so that's where he ducked and covered. Tony knew what to do. Notice how he keeps from moving or getting up and running? He stays down until he is sure the danger is over. The man helping Tony is a civil defense worker. His job is to help protect us when there is danger of the atomic bomb. We must obey the civil defense worker. We must know how to duck and cover in the school bus or in any other bus or streetcar. Duck and cover. Don't wait. Duck away from the windows fast. The glass may break and fly through the air and cut you. Sundays, holidays, vacation time, we must be ready every day, all the time, to do the right thing if the atomic bomb explodes. Duck and cover. This family knows what to do, just as your own family should. They know that even a thin cloth helps protect them. Even a newspaper can save you from a bad burn. But the most important thing of all is to duck and cover yourself, especially where your clothes do not cover you. No matter where we live, in the city or the country, we must be ready all the time for the atomic bomb. Duck and cover. That's the first thing to do, duck and cover. The next important thing to do after that is to stay covered until the danger is over. Yes, we must all get ready now so we know how to save ourselves if the atomic bomb ever explodes near us. If you do not know just what to do, ask your teacher when this film is over. Discuss what you could do in different places if a bomb explodes. Older people will help us as they always do. There might not be any grown-ups around when the bomb explodes. Then, you're on your own. Remember what to do, friends. Now tell me right out loud. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? Duck and cover. Duck and cover.